Good afternoon, and welcome to the Muni Lowdown. I'm Seth Brumby, the deputy editor of DebtWire Municipals. With me today is Mary Ellen Ty, the assistant editor, and <laughs> Greg Clark, the head of research. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Greg. I mean, you're such a distinct guy. Um, <laughs> Uh, Paul Graves is unfortunately out this week, so that's why I have to take over hosting this. Uh, he's, I think, rocking the boat over in Martha's Vineyard, and we hope he's having a good time. So you'll have to put up with me and Amateur Hour over the next 20 or 30 minutes. Greg, uh, there's been a lot of news out this week amongst, let's just call them higher grade credits. Uh, what did you see that you felt was most noticeable? Before I get into that, Seth, I just wanted to note that I haven't missed a podcast yet. <laughs> which I think grants me, as of now, the Lou Gehrig Award, maybe the Cal Ripken Jr. Award. But from now on, you can call me the Iron Man. We will, I think that's a good – we'll put that in apostrophes in your middle name, Greg okay. the Iron Man Clark. <laughs> in any event, uh, Houston City Council this week voted to put their pension obligation bonds on the fall ballot for voter approval or disapproval as it may occur. So – what this this is part of the ongoing saga of the Houston pension crisis, which is related to the Dallas pension crisis, which we've talked about in the past. Each city received special state legislation uh, earlier this year, which which was intended to resolve their their problems. And part of Houston's solution is the pension obligation bonds. Now, pension obligation bonds have a somewhat spotty history. Uh, they don't always work out as planned, but this is the way Houston has decided to go, so we'll know uh, after November whether they're going to be whether they're going to issue these bonds or not. So the ballot takes place in November. Yes. Oh, okay. Earlier today, there there was to be a uh, hearing on a Chicago schools lawsuit against the state that accuses Illinois of discriminatory, discriminatory school funding. So we should know more about that, possibly even by the end of this current week. As as of now, this, this lawsuit has been going on for a while, and it's part of the ongoing effort by Chicago schools to, to get more money, more state aid from, from the state. Regarding state funding of schools, Illinois state funding of schools in general, there is still no plan coming out of the legislature that would provide school funding to all the local school districts in Illinois. This is the first time that's happened, right? Yes. First time, apparently the first time in the state's history that the state has made has failed to make what's called its general state aid payment. The comptroller has directed payment of $429 million in categorical grants to the schools. Categorical grants cover transportation, special education, and other costs. It's not clear to me from what I've seen so far whether the monies are fungible in the short term, meaning whether they can be used for general purposes and then repaid as after state aid comes in. With Chicago schools in particular, 950 employees were laid off this week, 350 teachers and 600 support staff. The savings from that, though, will probably be a little bit less than would be implied by those numbers because historically about 60% of teachers who are laid off are rehired to full-time positions during the same year, and another 23% work as substitute teachers. The layoffs apparently occur when a given school's enrollment 
is less than expected, so teachers are basically laid off and then maybe rehired for schools that have greater student counts. Uh, this could happen again in October if, uh, af- after initial school enrollment numbers come through. And regarding the city, the mayor and other city officials had an investors conference yesterday, and the mayor discussed his plans, or the city's plans, to refinance some outstanding bonds with up to $2.5 billion in new bonds with a new security feature payable from the city's share of state sales tax. If things work out as planned, these bonds, because they would be payable from a segregated and dedicated revenue stream, would get higher ratings than the city currently gets on its general obligation bonds. The higher ratings would result in lower interest costs and a reduction in city debt service expense, a pretty substantial reduction. So the mayor's plans are pretty ambitious. He'd like to issue some of these bonds before the year is out. And, of course, his uh, plan also relies on the rating agencies to give the city the higher ratings that it expects on these bonds. So that's that's a story we're going to continue to watch. And it's interesting. The, uh, the primary market has not been very robust this year, at least when compared to last year. And volume is off a lot. And, in fact, QSIP Global Services came out this week with the numbers saying that QSIP, I guess issuance, for lack of a better word, is down 36% in July, which implies that maybe it's a softening market. And perhaps on a dollar basis, you can you can certainly conclude that. But what's interesting is that it, it, the quality of bonds coming to the market, in my mind, makes it a very interesting market, certainly more than last year. I mean, if you have Chicago coming to market to do a refunding with a new structure, um, Illinois is on tap to come to market for another $3 billion in debt. You've already had some really interesting deals already this summer and this spring with Jefferson County and Atlantic City. Um, on deck is going to be USVI. Um, oh, gosh, I've got about you know Chicago Public Schools. So it, it's, it seems like the market, sure, there, there's not as much volume, but what is coming out, people are really taking a look at. Yeah, there, there have been some unusual deals. You have the American Dream uh, bonds and the Georgia Proton bonds, which I won't go into right now, but they're unusual deals. Yeah, it reminds me of a tweet from Joe Mysack over at Bloomberg. I don't know if it was this week or last week. Maybe it was even a couple of weeks ago. They all kind of meshed together, but he, he talks about now is a really good time for high-yield issuance in the municipal market. And it, it certainly seems that way. The, the window is open right now. We'll see if it stays that way through the end of the year. But uh, we're going to move away from primary market stuff. Uh, there was some other news out this week tangential but still important um, to the municipal market, at least with some of the issuers. Uh, Mary Ellen, tell us what's going on. We're talking about the agreements that moved forward between Toshiba, the parent company of Westinghouse Electric, which has been in Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and Santee Cooper and SCENG. Last week, um, SCENG and Santee Cooper decided not to continue project continue work on the project, their BC summer plant. And this week, there's been a lot of news about sort of what's going to happen there. There's been questions about the costs to abandon the project, what it might have cost to finish the project. The governor of the state is looking at finding someone else to come in and buy Santee Cooper's portion and finish the project. When I talked to Santee Cooper earlier this week, They told me they've been searching for someone to do a portion of that work since 2010. And the market participants I talked to didn't feel like 
deciding not to finish the project was going to help someone sell their portion of it. Yeah, I can't imagine how attractive that asset might be knowing that your load hasn't increased in that area of the country at all. So I, I don't know, you know what revenue expansion possibilities they are moving into that market, which is unfortunate because nuclear power, these are the first plants in a generation, right? Uh, 45 years, something like that. And nuclear power is supposed to be an engine to help us move away into a, I guess, reduced carbon economy. And the, the first ones out of the gate aren't going so well. Well, yeah. And the places that they're in, it's a huge shock to the economy to have 5,000 people lose their jobs. So the governor and elected officials sort of have to try and save. It's, it's a fifth of the local economy in some of these places. That's a lot of jobs. I'm sure the state will definitely intervene to see what's going on there. Yeah. But luckily, the bonds managed to be robust, uh, all things considered. Um, Since they filed for bankruptcy, they've rallied, right? That's what surprised me is that uh, Santee Cooper is partner on a project here, and then the Municipal Electric Authority of Georgia, every week when I look at trading for the two of them, they are trading at the same levels, at higher levels since the bankruptcy, since these agreements with Toshiba to get some level of funding. It seems like the market feels pretty good about the ability of this rate base to pay for this project, whether it goes forward or not. And do you think it's also a sentiment that Toshiba can actually make good on these guarantees, or have they priced in that risk yet? I'm not sure if the Toshiba risk has been priced in. The people that I talked to this week regarding Toshiba that raised the biggest red flag are equity holders of the partners in the project. So there's both muni bond partners and then people that are a private company. And the people that were the most concerned about Toshiba were the people that held equity in the project or were, were invested in the equity partner, not the muni bond partner. So. Okay, so they're certainly paying attention to headlines about Toshiba. And Toshiba is a firmly junk-rated international conglomerate. There's been lots of speculation that it would follow Westinghouse into bankruptcy. Certainly, whether it does so in Japan or the U.S. could be a big determinant in whether or not those guaranteed payments actually go through. Definitely. Definitely. Didn't you tell us one time, uh, Mary Ellen, that uh, the bankruptcy laws in Japan uh, are much different from those in the U.S.? Yeah, a few months ago I did some reporting looking at where bankruptcy law in Japan might fall on this, and one of the things that a few lawyers there mentioned to me was that Japan wants to focus on maintaining the community, so they're more interested in keeping employment and keeping people working than necessarily paying um, guarantees to a power oh. utility in South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess every bankruptcy regime has its own priorities. So, um, well, well, we'll we'll continue to follow that. I mean, Santi Cooper's bonds, four billion of them tied to this project, are still firmly investment grade. Same thing with the municipal electric excuse me, municipal electric authority of Georgia. Yeah, that's a tongue twister. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so earlier this week also, we had some earnings come out from our beluggered bond insurers. What's going on there? Yeah, so AMBAC and National both reported earnings this week. AMBAC has been buying some of the Puerto Rico sales tax financing and Puerto Rico infrastructure financing authority bonds that it insures. Uh, it now holds about 30% and 12% of its insured bonds. So that sort of shields its risk in case those debts or those credits further deteriorate. If you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know that Puerto Rico is involved in a basically unfathomable number of lawsuits regarding its Title III restructurings, which is akin to bankruptcy. 
and the insurers are no small player in those. They've set, filed several bits of litigation each in each of the Title Threes. And National, in their earnings, took the time to sort of call out the Oversight Board, which is the group of people that are tasked with overseeing Puerto Rico's restructuring for not approving the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority restructuring support agreement. They, they just said that, you know, this is an unnecessary and additional cost for the customers, for everyone else. The board deciding not to approve that restructuring support agreement has raised a lot of, created a lot of waves because it was agreed to by the current governor, the former governor, bondholders. Everyone viewed that as a pretty solid coalition. So, yeah, that's the, that's the, news the, on the insurers update on Puerto Rico. Yeah, it's always good to look at things from you know, whatever public announcements that they can make, particularly through earnings call where they're interacting with the investment community too. Uh, you typically get a little more granular information out of that. Um, the the earnings calls actually coincided with an omnibus hearing on Wednesday down in Puerto Rico for its Title III proceedings. Uh, it was a sounds like a really stacked day. Uh, there's the litigation has multiplied since the last omnibus we had, which was back in June, I think. So it's been about four or five weeks. Um, if all else fails, there were three new adversary proceedings filed this week. So. <laughs> Yeah, which which normally we go over those adversary proceedings, but this week we're just going to keep it focused on the omnibus hearing. Um, I guess broadly speaking, there are a couple of big takeaways for it. Uh, I'm going to start with the mediation team that was appointed uh, at the start of the summer, led by Judge Hauser, uh, Barbara Hauser, out of Texas. And she understands that lawsuits are being filed virtually on a daily basis, which can't be good for the restructuring. Um, but nevertheless, Judge Hauser remains confident that the parties and mediators can work together to get a successful resolution. Um, we'll see how that goes. Certainly the biggest one is still between the $17 billion in bondholders for the Puerto Rico Sales Tax Financing Corporation, otherwise known as COFINA, and about $13 billion in tax-backed or rather debt backed by taxable resources on the uh, on the island. So we'll see how the mediation goes. Judge Hauser expects it to start um, within, uh, I guess, a month. The next thing up on the docket was obviously the Cofina-Geo dispute. Um, Judge Swain, I, th I guess we're supposed to learn by December um, what the result of this dispute is going to be like. At least that was my takeaway. Perhaps uh, other people had a different reading of the situation. A couple of the senior Cofina bondholders tried to get the judge to rule on whether or not a default had occurred in the Cofina capital stack. If Judge Swain does agree that a, a, a default has occurred, and she has not ruled on that yet, um, the senior bondholders would certainly get the benefit of all the revenue, ostensibly. So far, all the revenue for debt service payments for Cofina bondholders is going into an escrow account, so nobody got paid for June, July, and August, and August is their big coupon payment. Um, currently, there's $550 million in that escrow account that's accrued really just over the past eight weeks. So there's a lot of money at stake here. Uh, somewhat peripherally, but no less important, uh, PREPA, which filed for Title III over the past couple of weeks. Um, some of the bondholders and bond insurers, well, actually, everybody who was party to the restructuring support agreement, uh, asked for a receiver. Judge Swain did not rule on the receiver. Uh, I think Judge Swain is questioning whether or not that would curtail her authority over the Commonwealth's property. 
you know, leave it to lawyers for the ad hoc group and parties to the RSA saying that it's not a transfer of property. Um, nevertheless, they still believe that the bond documents gave them the right to appoint a receiver. A uh, couple of other things to note. The judge did deny the formation of a committee for municipalities, which in my mind is probably the most interesting thing, kind of buried in all this stuff that happened yesterday. And I'll conclude with this is an acknowledgement from Judge Swain that uh, municipalities bear an extraordinary expense in the face of loss of funding from their central government. But Judge Swain found that that burden does not fall into the same category as a claim against the estate that might warrant an official committee under the bankruptcy code. I'm quoting there from the story that we wrote earlier this week. That to me is really amazing because it goes to kind of the heart of really where do constituents and government subsidiaries lie when you're restructuring your municipality. Uh, I've talked to lawyers about this over the years and taxpayers, we'll just call them taxpayers, but nobody knows. Are, are, are they assets? Are they liabilities? Some people call them shareholders. I think they can probably fit into every single one of those categories. but. You know, Judge Swain, I think, really highlighted uh, a lot of the conflicts that municipal debtors have when they go into bankruptcy because a lot of times they're not representing their constituents. They're representing their own finances. Yeah, I think that's fascinating because since the recession, we've watched states essentially balance their budget by reducing the amount of money they provide to municipalities, to school districts, you name it. So to have a judge weigh in and be like, okay, those cuts were never maybe yours to be, that money was there's never no yours contract. to begin with. Yeah, there's no contract. It's just, uh, it's an appropriation. Maybe maybe even that's too technical. Um, there's no way to really categorize this stuff when you I, get into I guess in another way she's saying it's a public policy issue rather than a legal issue that, that she can judge. I wonder if cities are going to look to do anything in light of that to... To sanctify their payments? To sanctify their payments. And get a lien on government uh, grants? I don't, I don't I know. I have no idea, but that's... To me, that's fascinating in light of what we've seen everywhere in the past decade. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th I think if for anybody that held up ProMesa as a potential model to restructure state obligations, like Illinois, for example, um, I, I don't think that ProMesa has the answers. So, Not to that question. No. Yeah. And on that note, uh, thank you very much for your time, everybody. We hope that you have a wonderful weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>